About a year ago, a two-part teaching on how to hear the voice of God was recorded by a woman identifying herself as Apostle Catherine Crick. Here are some of the things she had to say. I encountered the power of God. Now, instead of running away from the Bible, I was running to the Bible. All I wanted to do was spend time in the Word because I was viewing Him in the right lens. I wasn't viewing Jesus as looking at me like, you haven't read your Bible. This is not good. I'm disappointed. No, instead I was seeing Him rightly saying, I want to spend time with you. And the place you find me is in my word, is in my Bible. And I'm going to speak to you and reveal new things to you in my word. And my son, my daughter, I don't want you to view this as something you have to do. But this is a gift. This is exciting. I want, I want you to desire to do this. I want you to feel free. This is an invitation. That's how God wants you to view the Bible and view prayer and spending time with him, speaking to him and opening up your ears to listen to him. He wants you to view it in that way. This is, this is the correct way you should view the Bible and spending time with Jesus. The Bible is the word of God. And when you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes alive inside of you. So when you read the word of God, the Holy Spirit will give you fresh revelation upon that word. He will bring that word alive for you today. He will make that word come alive in your life. That is his voice. The Bible is not any old book. It's not a textbook. It's not literature, but it's the living word of God. And when you read the Bible, you need to have this right perspective that this is the living word of God. This is not a book. This is the living word of God. And I'm about to hear God speak something to me in my life that I, need, that I need to hear. I'm about to hear his voice. He wants you to have that expectancy, that attitude when you go to the word. When you go to the word, don't go to it in a religious exercise, religious activity. Because when you do that, you're not, you're not viewing it as this appointment with God, as this time where God's going to speak but you're viewing it as a religious activity to check off your list. Okay, I'm a good Christian. I've read my Bible today. When you do that, you're turning off your spiritual ears, your expectancy to hear God speak something. And so you'll read it and you won't really get anything out of it. You're reading it kind of like any other book. So that's why it's important that though habits are great and you should make habits and discipline, um, make sure you are not making it a religious activity where you're like, oh, I have to do this. You can start small. You can, God would rather have you read one verse a day and you come to that verse expecting to hear God with that, that heart of expectancy. He'd rather have you read just one verse than read a whole chapter every day and, and not have that heart, not have that expectancy to hear from him. A little bit further in the same teaching of part one, hearing the voice of God, Catherine had this to say. So it's important that you're allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God so that you get His true revelation. If you read the Word of God without the Holy Spirit, without inviting Him, without expecting Him, you will not get revelation. So once again, don't worry about reading tons and tons. God can give you so much food with one scripture, and He can give you new, He'll give you new revelation on the same scripture again and again and again and again. Have this childlike heart when you go to the word. Maybe you've read so much of the word of God before, but you need to go with this childlike heart like you've never read that scripture before because God wants to give you a new revelation. 
you know that simple verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But when you empty yourself out and expect the God to speak something fresh, he'll give you new revelation, a new word that you needed today upon that word. Join me as we take a closer look at some of the examples I'm going to share with you regarding hearing the voice of God or having a word from God today, or of what would be called a rhema word, and how we can understand more about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, the Logos word, and the rhema word. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Don Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. I have a word for you today. I know that sounds really strange with me now saying that, but those are things I used to say, but I meant it in a different way before. But I do have a word for you today. And actually, I have a few words, and you're going to be hearing not just from me, but as always, I usually try to share some clips from other people so you can get an idea of what's being said out there, what some people may hold to and ascribe to as beliefs, and always taking it back to Scripture to see what the Word of God has to say about these things. So we're going to be hearing some clips today, what would be classified as rhema words. And then some of these are going to be maybe expounding on the belief of the rhema word because the the kind of culture that I was part of, the, the church scene that I was part of, and I'm sure some of you that are listening, many of us have heard that word rhema used before. And whenever we heard it, we always understood it to be that it was an utterance, that it was explained to us as an utterance, that it was fresh revelation that God was giving, and it was his word. Now, there are also fellow believers that their understanding of the word rhema is very different than what I just said. But we're going to be talking about both of these things today to try to get a biblical understanding of what this word actually means and how it's different than the word logos. And even in the church that I was part of, it almost seemed like, whether it was intentional or not, it seemed as if the meaning of logos was kind of diminished or decreased in a way than the rhema word, the rhema word being spoken. But again, we're going to go back to scripture. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We do have a lot of ground to cover today. And I also want to tell you this, whenever we're talking about these types of words that are the Greek words that we find in scripture that are giving us the better understanding of of the context that's going on in scripture, I would advise you to go to actual Bible teachers that have been trained and have a biblical, a thorough biblical understanding of what is going on with these. Get in, Dig into commentaries, get some good biblical resources so that you can grow in being a student of the word and that you're going to be learning and in a proper way to where you are getting a better understanding of the word of God and growing in your relationship with Christ. There can be a disconnect sometimes of if we're just using our minds and we're wanting to have better understanding that that means that we don't have a spiritual relationship with God. And that I would consider that an, a, a logical fallacy right there. So we're going to be looking at this today, the rhema word of God. And again, this is something that I was familiar with in uh, doing prophetic words. And a lot of times people may equivalent those to the fresh words from God. And these are in high demand today. And there's nothing new about this, though. Nothing has changed because people are always wanting something new and fresh. 
that's just the way we are as people. We want something new, something fresh. We want to feel like God is being personal with us and talking to us in a individualistic way and specific way. And we don't even realize it, but we may be diminishing the word of God and, and recognizing the fact that that is God speaking. And we don't even know what that says. We don't even know what that says in the right context, but yet we're wanting something fresh. There are men such as Bill Johnson and others who will make this type of quote, which is, a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an argument. Meaning that the person that's had an experience, you can't argue that away. You can't. You cannot dismiss that because that person has the experience, their personal private experience that they can go to as the source of authority, as the standard of authority. And he, I've heard him say this and others and saying that that type of person is not at the mercy of the person with the argument because it would seem that that person with an argument doesn't have any experience, so they have no right to say anything. But that's not true because an experience doesn't mean that it's the truth. And I've talked about this many times on other episodes. There are people in the occult. There are people that go to psychics and, and do other things that have had experiences. There are, there are people professing atheists that have had experiences. But that doesn't mean that that is the standard of truth. And so we are not to base our lives on personal experiences. The personal experiences do not interpret scripture. Scripture is to test our personal experiences every single time. And just because someone puts God's name on it and says, well, God said, or the Holy Spirit said, or this is the fresh revelation or fresh word that I'm going to be giving that God revealed to me, that does not mean that was the source from which it came. And it is a biblical principle to test all things, to test all spirits, to see if they have come from Christ. It is biblical to test the teachings and to make sure they align with the word of God. And what better word is there to really proclaim the rhema word in an utterance than the very written word of God. So as we go on with this, I want to to lay that out for you. And some of you may have heard that quote. And I wanted to share this clip as well. This is a clip from Bill Johnson talking about what the church owes the world. We owe, uh, my approach to life is we owe the world probably a whole bunch of things, but there are three that are very clear to me right now. The first is we owe people an encounter with God. Yes. We owe them a divine encounter. We owe them more than words. Words are important, but words are supposed to carry power. Effectively, they're to bring people into a divine encounter. Uh, if it's not through the declaration, through decree, personal ministry will bring people into a divine encounter. The point is, is we have an indebtedness to bring people into a divine encounter. And the way that we do that most consistently is truly just to stay full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. That's really what positions us to be successful there most consistently. <clears throat> the second thing that we owe people is we owe them, um, we owe them divine solutions, heavenly answers for yeah. earthly problems. Heavenly answers for earthly problems. That's where the wisdom thing really kicks in. We do that. We enable people to taste and see that God is good. Taste is experience. See is perception. When we bring people into an experience with God, we change their perception of what's available through God. And you may be wondering why I played that clip, because he doesn't mention the rhema word in there, though he does talk about the, de the declarations and the power of words. But he focused on that we owe the world a supernatural encounter, that we owe them um, heavenly solutions for earthly problems. And my argument would be is that scripture provides those. And we go to the Lord in prayer, and we make the best choices we can based on our understanding of the word of God that's given to us as divine instruction. Having a rhema word is included 
in this, in this supernatural experience, in, in whatever we is said that we owe the world, which we don't owe the world anything. And God doesn't owe the world anything either. We see that the rhema word is included in this type of, um, it, it's included in the supernatural experience. But what is meant by a rhema word when you hear this word used in charismatic or hyper charismatic circles? Well, I want to share some things with you so we can lay some groundwork for this and listen to several clips, including we're going to go back to Catherine Crick and listen to some things. And I'm going to have the links as always to these so you can go check them out for yourself if you so choose and listen to the the two-part discussion she had or two-part teaching she had on hearing the voice of God. But I'm going to play some clips of what she said about that that I found interesting to say the least. And I'm going to play several other clips from other people to give you a groundwork of the rhema, what could be meant, what could be meant as the rhema word of God from these types of circles. And then we're going to go look at scripture and some other sources to get a better understanding of what the Bible has to say about the rhema word and also the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. I want to share this quote that I came across. Bill Hammond defines rhema as, quote, a rhema is an inspired word birthed within your own spirit, a whisper from the Holy Spirit like the still small voice that spoke to Elijah in the cave. It is a divinely inspired impression upon your soul, a flash of thought or a creative idea from God. It is conceived in your spirit, but birthed into your natural understanding by divine illumination. A true rhema carries with it a deep inner assurance and witness of the Spirit, end quote. So this kind of helps you to see what is the groundwork laid for this. Kenneth Hagin, I'm sure Kenneth Copeland, there are many other people that talk about the rhema word of God. I know Hagin was big on this, and of course he had a rhema Bible, and still has a rhema Bible college to this day. But that word, that it's an utterance, it's, it's a divinely inspired word that is said to be from the Lord. Having heard that, let's hear what Havila Cunningham had to say during a 2018 gathering to professing Christians regarding the rhema word of God. In this, she's going to be talking about Ephesians 6 verse 18 and the word of God there. And she makes a point of saying that Paul is not talking about the logos word, but the rhema word. And from here, she expounds on what that means according to her understanding. He doesn't say, take up your logos and fight the enemy. He uses a specific word. He uses the word rhema. And rhema means a quickened and specific word from the spirit. A quickened and specific word from the spirit. Now, when he says this, we go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But see, historically, these people would have known exactly what he's talking about. This, these, these people that he was writing this to and speaking to. Because they would have had Roman soldiers around them all the time. And they would have seen them and they would have been dressed. And they would have been carrying large swords. And they would be practicing with those swords twice a day. And they were double the weight of the sword that they used in battle. It was to build endurance and strength. Catch me on this. They would carry the sword twice a day. They would practice to, to build endurance and strength. But when it came to the battle, the sword was not a large gladiator sword it was the sword it was the size of a dagger so she goes on to talk about how this dagger that was really small during that culture in the roman time they would have used it to work quickly that they would not have engaged so much in the battle or warfare with their opponent but they would have acted quickly and been efficient with it now she goes on to talk about the rhema word um, at about the two and a half minute mark and has this to say about it kill him and keep going in fact they were said never never waste your energy battling Deal with them and keep going. And see, I I just want to bring this into a spiritual way. You see, I see too many people who are biblically illiterate, don't know the word, are are trying to find something to find the enemy. And the truth is, if you don't know the word and have the word in your life and build endurance and strength and build your pantry, when the enemy comes, you're not going to know what to do. And you're going to run up to your pastor and say, Pastor, give me a word. Come on. You're going to come up to the altar call. 
somebody pray this off of me. And what God wants to do is he wants, you're not his grandkids. You're his kids. Now, I understand what she's saying there, that I do believe that we all should be um, literate, biblically literate, and we should know what the Word of God says. We should read it every day. We We should spend time studying the Word of God so that we know what it says. I agree with her with what she's saying. I do not agree, though, with her her interpretation of Rhema Word, because, and it's very confusing when you listen to her as she continues to go on here in what she says next about the three minute and 50 mark. Jesus goes into the desert and the enemy goes, hey, see those rocks right there? Turn them into bread. And Jesus does something very key. Jesus doesn't say, okay, enemy, you know what happened in Luke chapter three. Like I went into the desert, my cousin baptized me, it was open heaven. My father shouted out, I got a massive prophetic word. The spirit landed on me. I mean, it was amazing. No, he doesn't fight the enemy by his prophetic words, his encounters or how loved he is. This is key. This is so key because I see too many people trying to worship their way out of warfare and I love it. Yes, worship. Yes, declare. But get your rhema word and begin to actually deal with the enemy because you don't think the enemy knows how loved you are? He hates how loved you are. You are the most precious possession on the face of the earth. If you even had a taste of how powerful you are, you would never wonder again how loved and accepted you are. You would never wonder. The enemy knows exactly who you are, and he's not, he's not surprised by that. But he's saying, Jesus does not do something that we can't all do. He always gave us strategies to teach us how to live, not just in the biblical day, but today in 2018. He's teaching us strategy, and he's saying, here's what you're going to do. When the enemy comes, you're going to say this. It is written. It is written. And he says, man does not live by bread alone. And then the, the enemy comes back at him and he begins to say, he quotes scripture to him, which is what I see a lot of Christians experience is that the enemy will quote scripture to us to actually keep us in bondage because we don't know the word. We use our favorite Bible verse to fight every battle we've had for the last 15 flipping years. And we don't have anything to fight the enemy. I love you, but the, the sign that you got at Hobby Lobby is not your rhema word. I'm confused because it sounded like she was saying you need to have your rhema word to to fight battles, to stand. And listen, I'm all for and I agree that the word of God encourages us as believers. We should be encouraged by the faith that we see in scripture of other people that were sinners, for one thing, that were fallible people. And God showed them grace. He strengthened them during their time of trial and difficulty. And we can be encouraged by fellow believers in the word. But we also understand that scripture points back to a centrality, which is Christ. It points back to Christ. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, that scripture points back to God. It is not man-centered. It is Christ-centered. And so the other thing that she said too, she begins to go on to Matthew 4, but then she quickly exits off the exit ramp of Matthew 4. And she, she doesn't expound on the fact that Jesus said, quote, he quoted Deuteronomy when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was giving a rhema word. He was speaking forth the written word of God. And by the way, let me just highlight this to you in case you may have missed it, because I know I missed this for a number of years. It might be good to maybe do a study sometime and just for your on your own time and to see how many times the Old Testament is referenced in the New Testament. It shows you that they are they are both needed together in order to understand. 
the New Testament revealed the the coming of the Messiah of Jesus Christ, and it revealed what the Old Testament had been prophesying, and that had had types and shadows of who was to come to bring forth the redemption, the ministry of reconciliation, to redeem us from sin, to redeem us and rescue us, and to give us the promise of eternal life. The miraculous power that's found in in Christ's resurrection. So we see this that she talks about Matthew 4 here, and then she quickly diverts and says, you know, that the devil will come and he'll quote you scripture. And yes, that did happen in Matthew 4 in the temptation. But Christ also knew he he retorted back and responded back with a rhema word, the utterance of these scriptures <laughs> in order to answer the devil and his twisting of the word. And then she goes on to say, you know, people have their own that you got from Hobby Lobby's, not your rhema word, and that people want to quote the same scripture for 15 years. I don't know if you see the disconnect in that, but it's okay to stand on and to to in prayer to go back to a scripture that is encouraging you in your faith in Christ in the middle of chaos and turmoil and hardship and difficulty because his word the word is to help us it's to encourage us and it's to point us back to Christ who is the author and finisher of our faith. Just a side note on that, it, it was a little confusing listening to her because it seemed like she kind of ping-ponged all different places and she wasn't finishing the the revelation there. And it was almost as if she was making a disconnection between you need to have a rhema word. And Jesus had a rhema word, but she wasn't equivalating it to scripture. And then she was saying people stand on scripture for 15 years for the same, for all of their problems but you need you need your rhema word. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> I hope it does. Because it didn't make sense when I'm listening to her. The next clip is from Chuck Pierce. And I know some of you, if you're familiar with Chuck Pierce, I'm going to try to say this as diplomatic as I can. When I listen to Chuck Pierce, I feel like I'm listening to word salad. So I came across this recent prophetic word that he gave at a church that he was speaking at. And it was titled, Fertilize Your Future. And it was a prophetic words. So let's see what Chuck had to say when he talks about how he uh, goes to scripture and his and his view of it. Now, and this battle we're in, now the Lord spoke this to me very clearly. It was something I could not have uh, seen without him because, you know, a lot of times I've read the Bible so many times and when you've done that, unless Holy Spirit is reading it with you, you're just going to read it out of your mind. And so I, I try to rely upon Holy Spirit to show me something that I have not seen before. I want you to notice there is a distinction between reading the scripture with your mind, which we should be doing. You should not be disengaging your mind when you read the word of God. And I'm going to ask a question, and I want you to consider this question. Because when I was listening to the teachings from Catherine Crick, and I'm listening to Chuck Pierce, and, I'm, and we're going to hear Emma Stark here in just a minute, and listening to all these different people, the thought occurred to me, you know, there's there continues to be this this mentioning of, well, we need to be, be able to read even just one verse, and to hear what God is saying through that verse, and that it's going to be something new and fresh every time when you read it. And I don't recall having... A, even reading somebody's a letter that they've written or an email. Now, granted, it's not the inspired word of God, but I want you to think about this. When you're talking with someone or they write you an email or a letter or whatever, are you sitting there and going back to that letter or that email 
repetitively and going, I wonder what this meant this time. I want to I want to understand, get a fresh revelation of what they meant by this this time. Are you taking it at face value or are you trying to figure out a hidden meaning to it? So if we don't do that in something that's not inspired by God, then why would we do this to God's word? Why is it not sufficient enough to read it and to have an understanding of what it could mean. And I get that there are some Bible verses that, especially in Revelation, there's people have different eschatologies and such, and their understanding and whether or not things are symbolic or allegorical or literal. You know, that's one example that I'm giving. I know that there are some difficult passages in Scripture that that are they're controversial and they cause contention with people and that there's been many debates over the years. But there's a lot of the of Scripture that we can read at face value and we can take time to study it. I want you to consider that. Why are we doing this to to God's word? And we're saying, oh, well, he's got to say something fresh to me every time when I read it. I've got to hear something different. Then that makes the word subjective. And anybody can have their own interpretation of it, their own understanding. They can try to find some sort of hidden mystical meaning to it. it. And it comes back to Gnosticism and or mysticism in this. And like I said, this is nothing new. The first century church had to deal with this. They had to contend with Gnostics coming in and trying to have these hidden meanings and these secret meanings and trying to say that Christ did not was not incarnate and that he didn't rise from the dead and they dismissed the flesh and said it was an evil thing as far as they wanted to attain a higher spiritual ascension. And, and it goes on and on. And I know that Chuck Pierce doesn't sing that here, But this is something that is concerning because if we're just going to Scripture just so we can see what it has to say fresh every time and we don't even understand the original meaning of it and the power in that and we're not sitting there going, okay, I want to understand, I I understand in the Old Testament there's a type and shadow here. How is this pointing me to Christ? How um, How is this testifying of Christ? That's something that we can study and that should that should amaze us. And it should also, um, it should grow our love for the word and our love for God even more because we can see the truth of his word coming forth when we study it. But instead there's this thing of, well, you just don't want to read it with your mind or you just want to, you don't just want to just come out with your mind, but you need to do it with your heart. And I would caution you to your heart and my heart apart from Christ. I know our hearts are made new in Christ. But your heart is not to be trusted in and of itself. Your heart will deceive you and it will come up with all kinds of things. And that's why the Holy Spirit, and by the way, believers, you're not alone when you're reading the word. And I would encourage you too that when you're reading the word or you're listening to it on your device, however you have to do it um, in, in your schedule, but make time to spend in the word of God. Because you need the Word of God in order to grow as a believer and to understand the ways of God and His attributes and what He, what he loves and what He hates. And to understand the truth and, and, and the, the testimony of Christ, you need to understand it. And so when you're reading the Word of God or listening to the Word of God, this is something that you don't need to sit there and go, well, you know, I just don't feel this in my heart today or I haven't heard a, a special meaning behind this particular verse for myself, you need to understand what it says in context. There is power in that. And anybody who's going to tell you, well, you just don't want to read it with your mind, but you need to read it with your heart. You need to understand that your heart apart from Christ is deceptive and it can't be trusted. And when you are reading the word of God, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will illuminate 
not necessarily give you a, a new fresh revelation. He will illuminate the word to you. And something that, you know, might be a good suggestion is before you open the Bible or open your phone to read or hear is pray and ask God, God, I want to understand your word more. I want to understand. I'm not looking for something new or fresh. I want to understand your word in the proper way so that I can grow in spiritual maturity. And I ask to be led by your spirit that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the word to me and my understanding of it so that I would glorify you in all that I do. And God will give us what we're asking for because he wants in that capacity because he's, he wants us to understand his word. So I hope that, that that helps. But yeah, Chuck Pierce was saying that. And then he goes on, I'm not even going to play it because he's talking about Nehemiah and the whole fertilizing your future and the dung gate and the dragon gate and all these gates and talking about uh, politics and, and all this stuff. So we won't go into that. But the next clip I want to play for you is from Emma Stark. Now, that was this was a message called The Word of the Lord that she did at a church where she needed a translator. And this was, I begin believe, at the beginning of the year. She was giving this word and she was speaking as if she was the Lord. So we're going to listen to a couple of minutes of this so you can get an idea of what she said. And the Spirit of the Lord says, I am in captivity ik, in this nation. Ik ben gebonden in deze natie. He says, I am looking for a people I am looking for a church, says the Spirit, that will allow me to be me. I am looking for the wild ones, says the Lord, who will not have me a prisoner in their church, who will not have me a prisoner to their traditions. And I can feel the Spirit of the Lord groaning inside me. And he is offering you an invitation. And he is saying, will you host a move of my spirit? And I said to you, are you ready to host a move of And I can see the yes in your heads. And I can see a yes in your heads. But I cannot see the yes in your hearts and in your bodies. And I cannot see the yes in your hearts and in your lichamen. Isn't it interesting how the Holy Spirit is apparently captive? The third person of the Trinity, and we're going to listen to it a little bit more in just a second. But isn't it interesting? I mean, the third person of the Trinity is is held prisoner because of mere human beings. I, I find that fascinating. And again, this is not something I am, that this is foreign to me. I'm sure I said things as equally ignorant as what is being stated, stated here and that it's coming from God. But I want you to notice how minimized God is from this rhema word, I would remind you. This would be considered a rhema word because this is being uttered. She never said rhema. But this would be considered an utterance uh, from God of what you're getting, as we know what Bill Hammond defined it as. Go back to that, that definition that I read to you a few minutes ago. But this is what she's saying, and that, that the Holy Spirit has been held captive. This, this, the Holy Spirit is not held captive by any human being. Let's just make that clear. The Spirit of the Lord says, I am inviting you to a new relationship with my Spirit that you have never known before. And the Spirit of the Lord says, Will you let me burn you? Will you let me consume you with 
my fire. Is it good that you consume it with my fire? Because I want to break out, says the Lord. Because I want to break out, says the Lord. In a way that it will be impossible for you. In a manner where it will be impossible for you. To not demonstrate miracle signs and wonders. Not wonders and signs to demonstrate. You will be a church if you say yes. You will be a church if you say yes. Who guards the role of the Spirit in the earth? The role of the Holy Spirit bewaakt in the world. Interesting. She says that basically tells them at the beginning, I know I didn't play this, that they need to test the word that she's saying. But then she goes on to speak as if she is speaking on behalf of God and saying, you will be a church if you will basically do what this word says. So which is it? Are we supposed to be able to test this? Is someone, is someone like myself or someone else able to come in to test this and say, actually, what you're saying doesn't line up with the word of God and it doesn't line up with the spirit of God who testifies through the word of God, by the way? Are we allowed to say that? Or are we going to be shut down and told that we're Pharisees and that we're hypercritics and that we don't have the Spirit of God because we're not willing to listen to this? Because we choose to acknowledge that God is actually bigger than a human being because He's God and that His Word is to be respected and held at the standard that it is because it is God speaking. His written Word, Logos Word, is him speaking. This is a diminishment of God, I would argue, when you're saying that the Holy Spirit is held captive and that you're not able to do, uh, he's not able to do what he wants, then I have to question what kind of God is this, that he is not able to do what he wants to do because God does whatever he wants. And scripture makes that clear in Psalms that he does whatever he pleases. The earth is his. He does whatever he pleases. He doesn't need our permission to do anything. And he's not begging us. If we will just let him burn us and do all that, you know, he's not. That's not God. By the way, she also said too, a little bit later about the 11 and a half minute mark. She said that God said that the people there needed to be suspicious of how their mind worked. And she went on to elaborate on that. And I thought that was just an interesting thing to say. Again, there is this, uh, she and she, the word of the Lord that she ministered there, in case you're wondering, she told the people it was the era of the Holy Spirit. And again, I would argue, and I probably said this on a podcast before when I've talked about her word about the the era of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the Holy Spirit has been operating for the past 1900, 2000 years. And she talks about the charismatic and the the, the uh, Pentecostal and the Baptists haven't done their job. They haven't done what they were supposed to do as the church. We have not attained perfection and that the, and spiritual maturity, um, but that should help us to understand more our dependency on God, um, on the leading of the Holy Spirit, and to help us understand progressive sanctification and to get back to the the being a disciple of Christ and having a proper biblical understanding. So we've listened to all of these different people that are giving you examples of what would be considered a rhema word. And what I would say about all this is, again, being kind of an outsider looking in, is that the concerns with the charismatic definition of rhema becomes subjective in nature when you when you hear it, when you think about and you hear the definitions from Bill Hammond and other people through the years, and then what they're saying as far as what a rhema word is, is that it's an utterance, it's a it's a prompting of the Holy Spirit, it's coming from within you. That's dangerous, by the way. And all and I would also add that the still small voice that Elijah heard was not an internal voice. It was not an internal voice, y'all. It was a voice from with from outside of him that was in the elements that was coming. It was not this inner small voice that he was having grasping to try to hear. 
and that's what some of the rhema will be perceived as as and conveyed at as many times is that I had this it was an inner witness that my soul had it was this bubbling up this inner witness from my soul from with from within me and this was a rhema word that God gave me and it becomes subjective because then the verse uh, again the bible verse if you're basing it on a bible verse and I used to do this so this is not coming from someone who, and even if I, even if I wasn't part of this movement, that doesn't change the fact that I still have the right as a believer to say something. As someone that was in this movement, I am very well versed in doing this. I did this for years. I would write in my journals and do this and contribute and attribute it to God. I would write um, what I called prophetic words. I would write in my blog post. I would get on videos and I would say, the Lord said this, the Lord said that, the Holy Spirit said this, God said this, God told me this, God gave me this dream. I attributed many things to him. And that was basically doing a rhema word. And I would take a verse of scripture and try to elaborate on it of something that was hidden, a hidden meaning in there that somebody, if you asked them to read it, chances are they would never have gotten that understanding from it. So what happens and the danger in this is the subjectivity of it becomes the overpowering element of it. And then you can take a verse in scripture and you can have it mean whatever you say it means. And then it means nothing. Because if it objectively, if the scripture objectively has no absolute truth to it, if it has no foundation in truth to it, then we can claim whatever we want. And it means whatever we say it means. And then the next person comes along and they say, well, I was reading it and the Lord gave me this fresh revelation on it. And what we've done is we've diminished the word of God and we don't, and it's not, again, it's not enough. It's not enough because there is a there is a way to us as people that the simplicity of things, the simple devotion to Christ that Paul, for example, was concerned about the Corinthians in Second Corinthians eleven that they would basically forsake the simple devotion to Christ in in the proper biblical understanding because of the super apostles. What happens is is that because it's not enough, then we've always got to find this fresh word and we've always got to hear God's voice for ourselves. And we've always got to have this fresh revelation and this new experience and this new encounter. And if that's what people are going to church to constantly, if they're going to these corporate gatherings and that's what they constantly need to hear and that's what they are always relying upon, then that's what you'll have to keep people with. And you'll be keeping people that there will be goats in the midst of that that really aren't believers And you'll also have people in there that are spiritually starving and they don't realize it because all they're eating is junk. They don't understand the word of God. They're biblically illiterate. And and I'll make that comment many, many times as someone who was biblically illiterate myself and was clueless about my biblical illiteracy. There's a very small percentage of people, it's in the single digits of people that read their Bible every day who are professing Christians. It is sad and it's scary. Because there are people that are relying on the writings from Charisma. They're, writing, they're relying on the writings from the Elijah List. They're relying on the writings of all these other Christian media outlets. They're relying on prophetic words. They're getting on YouTube and they're getting all their revelation, what they think is revelation. They're getting rhema words from all these people that are professing apostles and prophets. And also, again, I wanted to listen to a couple more clips of what Catherine Crick had to say, because she talks about the fivefold and that uh, the rhema is coming from the apostles and prophets. 
and she talks about it being a fresh word, a fresh revelation, and that's and that's why the fivefold is needed because we need to have the rhema word coming, the fresh revelation coming from the fivefold ministers. But then she um, expounds on the new things and being childlike and not ha- and not being skeptical. And I do want to play that in just a minute. But this is the danger in this is that there is some major subjectivity when you're expecting something fresh and new all the time. And in order to understand when applying God's rhema word, we need to understand its meaning in order to apply it appropriately in our lives as believers. That is so important. And that may not sound exciting to a lot of people, but that's very important that we that we apply the word of God appropriately in our life and that we understand the difference between descriptive passages and prescriptive passages. There are passages in scripture that people try to make prescriptive. They try to say, because Jesus did these things, that that means ergo, we can do those things. There are prescriptive passages that we are to follow as believers in Christ, as Christians, that we are told by in the epistles and how to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But yet, this is not enough for a lot of people. And I get it. I mean, I can relate to this and have compassion at the same time, be straight up with you and say, if you're one of those people, there needs to be some self-examination. So I wanted to play this real quick, just so you can get, kind of get what she's saying from this about having this childlike understanding of the scripture or of the rhema word of the fresh revelation, because you have the fivefold ministry. And from there, we're going to go into that particular passage. This is a passage I've heard her use several times in her teaching, because she will talk about the, the people that are skeptical or that are religious and that they don't believe what God is saying, the, the rhema, the fresh revelation from God. And this causes those people to have major issues and that they just can't move forward and they can't understand the, the deeper spiritual things because she relates it in some of her teachings, if you've heard them, she'll relate it back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And we are actually going to look at that in just a moment, but she'll relate it to that. So let's listen to this for just a little bit. It's important that you are hearing the word of God through anointed vessels who are really hearing the Holy Spirit, giving them revelation upon the word of God. Because there's some people who claim to be Christians and are even ministers, even big ministers, but they're not getting the proper revelation from the Holy Spirit. They might have a spirit of religion. And so they are giving the word and it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the wrong revelation. It's the devil's revelation. Apostle Paul talks about beware of these different doctrines, these different teachings that are coming to you that are not the doctrine of Jesus, the true gospel. And that's the purpose of the fivefold ministry of true apostles, true prophets, true evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that you would get the true doctrine and you would know it well. This is, this is the Holy Spirit giving me revelation from the Bible. Yes, you received that anointing, you received teaching. So then when you go to the Bible on your own, you're, you have anointing to give you that proper revelation from God not religious wrong like the pharisees had a religious perspective on the bible the wrong perspective and they said jesus was from the devil but in the word of god it clearly if you read it with the right revelation with the holy spirit giving you revelation you see all these prophecies in the old testament point to jesus perfectly how why would you say he's the devil he's coming from the devil you see so that's what's very important that you are receiving anointed word of god teachings where like someone like me i'm God gave me revelation of the Holy Spirit and I'm releasing it to you right now because now this helps you. Now you receive this anointing when you go read the word of God, you're seeing Jesus rightly. You're reading the word of God, getting the proper revelation. This is so important. 
Did you see what she did there? Again, she's equating the rhema with the fivefold, that you need these godly anointed leaders in your life. And then she's basically saying those that aren't agreeing with her revelation as an anointed leader who's giving you the rhema, because I want you to notice that she included herself because you're receiving rhema from her. You're receiving the utterance from God from her. And now your understanding is much better because of her, because of the rhema that she's releasing over you because she's an anointed vessel. But those that would say something Thing against what she's saying or calling into question, then they are they are from Satan. They are being um, uh, guided by the demonic, they, and also they are Pharisees. Now it might be good for again a su- good suggestion would be um, if you're one of those like myself that used to throw around that Pharisee term a lot and you really didn't understand what it meant. You thought you did, but you didn't. I would encourage you to do your own Bible study on what the Pharisees actually did and what they did not do. And that will help you to have uh, maybe next time to be more cautious about throwing out that Pharisee term before you use it in such a way, because how she's using it goes to show, and this is from someone, again, who did not have proper understanding before, she does not know what a Pharisee was, and she does not know what they did and didn't do. I do want to play that other clip for you real quick about the childlike heart so we can get on into 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the word of God, because... Vessels of God will be revealing new things that you haven't heard before. You know, there's so many new things about the spiritual realm that were revealed to me that I've never heard before, but they were truth. So we cannot, we cannot be like skeptical and critical. We have to be like a child. When you are like a child, when you have a a childlike heart, God will reveal to you, this is where I'm moving. This is who I'm speaking through. The Bible says you will know them by their fruits. So you look at them with a childlike heart, not skeptical, with a childlike heart, and you look at the fruits, the fruits, the fruits. Like, are people really being touched? Are people really experiencing the power of God like we see in the book of Acts? Am I being blessed? Am I receiving peace and joy? That's good fruits. Is this the love of Jesus? Is this the heart of Jesus that I'm experiencing? That's good fruits. Bad fruits are like when someone is too focused on worldly systems, like, like politics, like too consumed with that, then the things of the spirit, then bringing the kingdom of God by my spirit, says the Lord, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Bad fruit is when you see like ministers uh, or anyone speaking negatively about other people, speaking bad things, mean things. No, we're called to only speak life. We're called to love everyone, our enemies. We're not called to ever point fingers and be like, this person's evil. No, never. So it's simple. And not difficult to, to determine fruits. It's not difficult to determine where God really is speaking. When you have a childlike, pure heart of, God, I want your will. God, I really want to hear your voice. This whole thing of, for one thing, she talks about basically pointing back to how do you, essentially how you feel, people reacting to the word that she gives, and that is a demonstration of good fruit, of if it's if it's uh, ministering to you, and how does it feel to you, and how is it d- demonstrating to you, and that you're not speaking ill of anybody, you're not calling out false teaching. Nope, that's bad fruit. That's actually demonic fruit. Um, that That's wrong. That's not even from God. And my question would be when I'm listening to her teaching is, what happens when the rhema word that's spoken is received as demonic when it is actually scripture in the right context? Because that's what's happening. And I would say that that's a demonstration of bad fruit. When you cannot actually receive the rhema, <laughs> the utterance of the spoken word of God, that's, that was written, the Logos word, when you cannot receive that, that rhema word, and it's a, a rhema word of loving correction, 
of writing the course of the path that you're on because your teaching is not agreeing with scripture. Ergo, it's not agreeing with the Holy Spirit who divinely inspired scripture and carried men along according to second Peter one carried men along to write it. It is the more sure word of prophecy. And I would also remind you some, just something interesting to note in second Peter one nineteen. that word of prophecy that's used there, that word that's logos. That's the written word of God which I find that just interesting. It is a general observation. When we think of prophecy, we think, oh, it's an utterance. It's to speak forth. But the word of God, the logos, the written word of God is prophecy. And Peter was saying that. He said, it is the more sure word of prophecy. And you would do well to listen to it, is what Peter says. Far more than your experiences, far more than Peter's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. We would do better to listen to the more sure word of prophecy, which is Scripture as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write it. And so what happens to people like Catherine? And I'm not calling her an apostle because she's not an apostle. What happens to to people like Catherine when the rhema word is spoken to her in a loving way to bring correction? Because the word of God, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, it brings correction. It brings rebuke and reproof, and it trains for righteousness. What happens when that, that rhema word is brought and it's said, well, that's demonic, because you're, you're attacking and you're, that's bad fruit. That is scary ground to be walking on, my friend, when we say that about the written word of God that's spoken in a way that's in the proper context and people don't want to hear it and instead they're calling it evil and they're calling it demonic and they're, call, and they're basically shutting these people down that are trying to say something and to help people not be deceived and to be led astray and, and continuing to go on in these ways of going, well, I need to have a dream and I need to have an experience in order to, in order to know it's God. And, and to say that God is still speaking today and how dare you say that God is not speaking today because I can't get a fresh revelation. How, how, to say something something like that. And this is, I'll get into this in just a minute. The whole question of, well, you know, if you say that we can't hear the voice of God today for ourselves, then then you just don't believe that the Holy Spirit's active. Illogical fallacy. And I'm going to explain that in a few minutes. First Corinthians chapter two verses, uh, we'll begin with verse 13, actually. But this is one of the passages that Catherine goes to, and, I, and probably other people do too. But when she's talking about this childlike faith, she is referencing the fact that you have to have this innocence about you in order to receive the spiritual things, the mysteries of God. And when they're talking about mysteries, they mean like the hidden revelations, the things that God wants to give to us that are secret or hidden in, a, again, a mystical way. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, Paul is talking to the believers and he's talking about proclaiming Christ crucified in chapter 2. And he's helping them to see the power of God, which is, by the way, in the resurrection of Christ, and it's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he talks about having wisdom from the Spirit when he starts in verse 6, and talking about um, among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He talks about the secret and hidden wisdom of God in verse 7. And he says that none of the rulers in verse 8 of this age understood this. This is going back again to the gospel about Christ crucified. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory in verse 8. And he goes on to talk about in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, I know I said verse 13, I'm sorry, but I backed up. (laughs) 
<laughs> Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, who's he talking to? Now this is important. When you're reading scripture, you need to understand who's the audience. He's speaking to Corinthian believers in Christ. And he's telling them, you also, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What is he talking about? The things freely given, salvation, reconciliation, and the promise of eternal life through Christ's resurrection. Verse 13, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. This does not mean that we're trying to find some mystical hidden meaning in the passage of Scripture. This is plainly talking about spiritual truth dealing with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in accordance with the gospel. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, this is where the, the Crick and others will start to use this passage. Well, you know, the natural person, the Pharisees, they can't accept the things of God. You have to have childlike innocence about you. You can't question things and be skeptical. Wrong. That is not what this is talking about at all. The natural person, that's the carnal person. That is the unregenerated person. The person that is thinking in their understanding, they do understand actually what it's saying, but they cannot accept it. They cannot accept the things of God for they are folly. It's foolishness to them. The cross is foolishness. Scripture tells us this, that it is foolishness to to those who don't believe. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross. What is that? It's the gospel. There are so many that in this movement that have diminished the power of the cross, the power of the gospel. My goodness, it's always this searching out and wanting something new or wanting deliverance from demons and, and all these other horrible teachings that are being perpetuated. And they're just leading people into more and more slavery. There's no freedom in these messages. It's bondage. And then to tell people, well, if you question, you know, you're skeptical and you just don't have childlike faith and you can't receive the spiritual things of God. Well, it sounds like that someone has not received the spiritual truth according to Scripture. That's what it sounds like. And that is sad. That's sad and it's disturbing because there are individuals like Catherine that are taking a leadership position and they are telling people these things and then people are afraid to call things into question. And if they do call things into question, then they start wondering, well, I may not be spiritual enough. I may, I may not be able to receive the hidden things of God. It's the gospel that you need to focus on. It's Christ and him crucified. The, the, the message of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to rest in the freedom that Christ gave you in salvation and in the hope to come of eternal life with him. There's such joy in that, but that's not the focus of these things. It's, it's finding the hidden meaning. And if you don't hear God for yourself, then you don't really know God. And if you don't hear God's voice and you don't have some sort of supernatural revelation or you're not prophesying and you're not doing A, B, and C, then you don't really know God. If you don't have the manifestations of miracle signs and wonders in your life and you're not casting out demons, then you don't really know God. And you know what that sounds like? That sounds like Pharisees. <laughs> Uh, again, look up Pharisees. 
and you'll you'll get the the meaning of what I have, the hidden meaning behind that, the mystical meaning that I'm trying to give you there. Verse 14, again, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understanding the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We are spiritual people for those of us who are born again and, set, and, and been delivered from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God. For those of us who have been become co-heirs with Christ and we've been adopted into the family of God, we are now spiritual people that can understand spiritual truth. Do you know why? Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us and he leads us into all truth. That's one of the things he does. And forgive me for saying this, and I know that this is a longer podcast, so just stick with me. I've got a little bit more to share and one more clip I think that will be a blessing and encouragement to you and maybe even give you some pause to think. It is an illogical fallacy to say that calling extra biblical revelation or mystical revelation or hearing God for ourselves means that it's a denial of the Holy Spirit still being active. Quite the contrary. In fact, I have an, a non-exhaustive list in my Bible that's written in here for me just to ponder on and even add to as I'm going and reading through scripture. But the Holy Spirit is very much active in the life of a believer. So please do not be one of those people that makes that dis that false dichotomy and says, well, if you're saying that we can't hear the voice of God for ourselves, and if we can't find the hidden meanings in scripture, and if we're not having all these supernatural experiences and encounters, then you believe that the Holy Spirit is not active in our lives. No, actually, I don't believe that because this is, these are some of the ways the Holy Spirit is active. In John 3, 6 through 7, we find out that the Holy Spirit regenerates us. In John 16, 8, we find out he convicts us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, we find out that the Holy Spirit empowers us with gifts. In Galatians 4, verse 6, we find that he testifies in our hearts that we are God's children. In Galatians 5, verses 18 and 25, we find that the Holy Spirit leads us. In Galatians 5, 22 through 23, he makes us fruitful. In Romans 8, 11, he grants and nurtures in us resurrection life. In Romans 8, 13, he enables us to kill sin. In Romans 8, 26 through 27, he intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. In John 16, 13, we find that he guides us into all truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we find that the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. He conforms us into the image of Christ through sanctification every day. In, when we stay in our word, when we're uh, going in the corporate gathering, when we're praying, when we're worshiping, when we're meditating on his word, not emptying your mind, but digesting, spirit, uh, metaphorically speaking, digesting, chewing on his word, getting a better understanding of it, having it written on our hearts so that we can glorify God in everything that we do. That's not an exhaustive list I just gave you, but those are a lot of things and much more that the Holy Spirit does. So I encourage you, do not be one of those people that says what I just told you. Because the Holy Spirit does far more than we can even comprehend in the life of believer. And if all we're looking for is another dream and another internal audio or audible voice or some sort of manifestation, and that's what we equivalate the working of the Holy Spirit to, but we don't see how else he is regenerating us and sanctifying us and doing all of this work within us because of the finished work of, of Christ on the cross and that he sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to indwell us, then that's not enough. 
(laughs) for us to be able to walk in the way that we should walk and to have understanding and to even pray the simple prayers of saying, God, I'm going to open your word and I'm going to read it or I'm going to listen to it. And I ask you that by your spirit that you'd give me the understanding and illuminate it. He'll do it. Let's not diminish the work of the Holy Spirit to manifestations and what we think he should be doing when scripture tells us who the Holy Spirit is and what he has is doing and what he's already done. So with that, I want to share a little bit more with you from uh, one more clip and then uh, read a little bit to you from a few different resources that I want to list for you to give some better understanding of the word rhema according to scripture. This last clip I'm going to play for you is from Vody Bauckham and I came across this. He was talking at a seminary to some students several years ago and he was giving them some um, words of caution about the trends of emotionalism, mysticism, and anti-intellectualism. And I think you'll find that this is quite appropriate for this discussion, uh, given the rhema words and the uh, focus on owing the world an encounter and uh, heavenly solutions for earthly problems and, and all these other things. The United Negro College Fund is a motto. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Modern American Christianity has a, a different take on that. We just believe a mind is a terrible thing. We talk about head knowledge as though it's a disease that needs to be cured, right? And so this, this, this idea of being a creedal or confessional, this idea of having structure around our faith, some of you guys, when you came here, you were warned. Don't let them ruin you. Don't let them ruin you. You go there and everything becomes so systematized and so formalized and you, you lose your fire. Because everybody knows if you really want to love God, you've got to be ignorant. <laughs> and so in this mysticism, we really don't have the categories necessary to do apologetics. And my faith is all about my experience. It's all about what I feel. It's all about what I know on the inside. We're more like Mormons, to be honest. I, I bear you witness because of my own burning in the bosom. These things are true because of my internal witness to these things. And in this mysticism and this anti-intellectualism, we don't often gauge the rightness or wrongness of things by the facts that are presented, but instead we tend to gauge the rightness and wrongness of things based on the emotions that we experience when they're presented. That was powerful. That was awesome. Well, did you, did you recognize that it was heretical? <laughs> You're so judgmental. <laughs> this is how these two things work together, right? Yeah, I thought that was an interesting clip when I heard him, and it, it kind of made me pause for a minute when he said we sound much more like Mormons, because uh, the Mormon uh, faith will say, well, just read this book, the Book of Mormon, and see if you have that inner witness, that burning in the bosom. That's what they call it. And so uh, when, I, when, and when I heard him say that, I thought, well, he's right, actually. And there is this fight for uh, anti-intellectualism, which is essentially what it boils down to as well, um, along with this. I wanted to uh, steer at the last little bit of this episode today, and I appreciate you for hanging with me on this. I looked in several references I have, and I've had some people write to me and ask me, how do you do Bible study? And again, I'm not an expert on this, but I can tell you, uh, I've had some ladies write to me, and I can tell you 
just some general things, some suggestions to go to. And then from there, when you're checking out reputable Bible teachers, they will steer you towards certain uh, references and, and and get you on the, the proper pathway to continuing to be a good student of the word. So a couple of things I do when I'm doing a, whether it's a topical Bible study or if I'm going through um, and reading my Bible and I come across specific words and I want to know what they mean or have the historical context, what I'll do is I'll look in some books such as I have a Strong's Concordance. That is a good starting place for Greek and Hebrew words. It's pretty basic. There are some other references you can use that are a little bit more detailed. Um, I do have some of those, but I have a Strong's Concordance. I have a complete word study dictionary. Um, I do have a BDAG, which is the gold standard for the, it's a Greek lexicon. And so I have one of those. It takes me a while to work through it, but I'm patient when I do it. I find the actual Greek word and then I work my way through it until I find the, the appropriate Greek word. And then I look at the definitions because in Greek, you'll find that the a word can have a few different meanings to it. And just because that word is used in that sentence does not mean that it has every single definition that's listed for it. It has a specific meaning. Shocker, I know, with the, with the language that, that words have actual specific meanings to them. But I looked up the word rhema which in the Strong's Concordance, for those that are interested, it's number 4487. And there were several listings for different scriptures. There's John 334, John 847, uh, Romans 10 verses 8 and 17, John chapter 17 verse 8, Ephesians 526, Ephesians 113, Jude 17, just to name some. But Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 was another one that was mentioned. And when I looked at this in the concordance, it said under it, the doctor, as far as Ephesians 6 17 was concerned, which remember, Havila Cunningham mentioned mention this this reference this is about the armor of god right in the context of this in ephesians 6 17 the concordance had this to say about that passage it says it refers to the doctrines and promises of god revealed and taught in the bible now strong says this about uh, rhema it says here the reference is not to the whole bible as such but to the individual scripture which the spirit brings to our remembrance for use in time of need or prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with scripture. That's what rhema means. It's not this mystical utterance that you get or that you attribute words to God that are found nowhere in scripture that you find the hidden meaning to something that's deep down in your soul. This is what rhema means according to Bible scholars that have studied this for a long time, decades probably. And I think I'm going to I'm going to side with them as opposed to someone that is just saying that they have a rhema word and they're spouting off word salad that has nothing to do with what that scripture originally meant to begin with. And again, I go back to the the whole question. If we're going to treat God's word in such a way that we're always going to open it and expecting every time to have some sort of different meaning to it, a fresh revelation, then we need to treat all of our conversations and all of our dialogue and all of our correspondence with people with the same thing. So BDAG had this to say, it says that which is said, word, saying, expression, or statement of any kind. And it said, we need to be aware of the use of words in scripture. And they gave one of the examples and there were some several things listed, but I picked out a few things to go with you for BDAG, go over with you for BDAG. The example given in BDAG was Acts chapter six, verse 13, to make threats against something. Luke chapter seven, verse one, the reference here was to speech, a sermon, proclamation, everything he had to say. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 8, this is in the high priestly prayer that we see that Jesus prays right before he is taken away and out of the Garden of Gethsemane. And so in, in, in John 17, 8, 
in a reference to Rhema, this has to do with a pronouncement of Christian teaching or of divine understanding. Romans chapter 10, verse 8, this was a singular form that brings together all the divine teachings as a unified whole, and this points to the gospel or confession of the gospel. The Lord's teachings, which were expressed in the form of parables, were also noted as being rhema, depending on where you look at them in Scripture, if that was the word that was used. Again, there's two different words that are used for word. Many times there's logos, which is the written word, and rhema. Many Bible scholars do not view the word rhema as an utterance with um, with regards to personal revelation that's given to you within your heart or your soul by God. It, it has to do with the actual spoken word of God in whatever context it's being referenced. When I looked in my complete word study dictionary, which is this is a two volume set I have as an expound, it expounds on the Strong's Concordance and it's, it's a good resource. I recommend those if you can get those. But the complete word study dictionary for the New Testament had this to say about Rhema. Number one, it said it is a particularly a word uttered by a living voice. And the examples it gave was John 820, Acts 214, Acts 10, 44 and Romans 10 18. It's stated in the New Testament's use, it is a particular meaning depending on context. And these are some of the listings, the subheadings of the context. Uh, number one was charge or accusation. Number two, predictions or prophecy. Sayings foretold, such as in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, and Jude chapter uh, 1, verse 17. Third, promises from God. These were referenced in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, and Hebrews chapter 6, verse 5. Number four, commands. This is referenced in Matthew chapter four, verse four, as the temptation in the de- in the wilderness that we see with Christ, and Luke chapter four, verse four. Number five, spoken of a teacher, word, teaching, precept, doctrine, words of life, referencing John six sixty eight and Acts five twenty. And lastly, the pronouncements of God, it listed. The synonyms for this were logos, and this is what I had to say about logos in the Complete Word Study Dictionary. The expression of thought, while rhema stands for the subject matter of the word or the thing which is spoken about. This kind of gives you a little bit more understanding of the word rhema in accordance with Scripture. And so I would encourage you again to do your own Bible study on this, to look more closely at some of these things and see what they have to say. But in conclusion, um, the, the rhema and the logos, as far as our understanding of it, in truth matters. It really does matter. And if we are giving our ear to people that are saying that they are constantly hearing the voice of God, and then they're ascribing new meanings to Scripture, continuously. And we're hearing all these people say, well, this verse, that God told me that this verse means this. And then another person comes along a month later and they said, oh, God gave me a fresh revelation, a fresh rhema word for this verse right here. And then we have other people saying, well, I have rhema words because I'm an apostle or I'm a prophet. I'm a fivefold minister and you need to listen to me. And if you're not willing and you're skeptical and you don't have childlike innocence and faith about you, then you're just a Pharisee and you're religious and you're critical and you cannot receive the, the spiritual things of God. And they are twisting and misappropriating scripture. And frankly, they are abusing people by doing such a thing. And they're disrespecting and they're, uh, they're disrespecting God and they're disrespecting the word of God the written, the Logos Word of God, and they're disrespecting those that would bring the Rhema Word of God, the utterance of the actual Word of God, so that way people are, the the church is actually being built up in the truth based on the Scripture, based on the Word of God. So I hope that this has been helpful to you today. We must get back to Scripture. We must get back to the Word of God and what it says in the proper context. 
Because if we're always looking for some hidden meaning in something, and we, the scripture can mean whatever we think it means because we say that God said it, and so that makes it so, then we're no different than the world when they have their own subjective truth. There is an objective truth found in scripture. And growing in that relationship and that fellowship with Christ and understanding his word is sufficient in that. There's sufficiency found in understanding his word that we can grow, draw closer to Christ because we actually understand what his written word says. And then when we're in times of prayer, those that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we are giving the rhema word of God. We are uttering the very words of God that were spoken of in scripture, and there is power in them. There is power to save. The Holy Spirit is is very much active in the life of a believer. And again, I would encourage you to, to to look at that and make sure that you have that understanding and that you're not relying on your personal experiences to dictate to you to your and to your walk with God, that that determines your level of spirituality and that it determines that you have a relationship with God. That is not what determines your relationship with God. Your relationship with Christ is based on what he did, not what you can do and not what you can necessarily testify of in your own personal experience, but what you can testify of based on the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his word says about him and who he is and the actual meaning of the Word of God does matter. Be blessed today by the truth of God's Word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, And we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.